when I saw this film, the audience was comprised of people mostly in their 20s. It's really like, you know, smart young adults, smart aleck young adults, if you will, who really appreciated that kind of humor. It was an evening show, so I didn't expect to see children in the audience necessarily, but I think this is a film that fundamentally appeals more to that kind of ironic sensibility in an adult as much or more than in children. So I, I would be interesting to see it with a really young as in child age audience, but but it's really the young adults who appreciate it. And some of the references, you're right, Maria, really aim more at an adult audience. Hello and welcome to At The Movies with Mike and Marie, a show where two film professors talk about movies. I'm Marie Westhaver. And I'm Mike Giuliano. And today we're gonna to talk about two animated features. The first will be Marcel, the shell with shoes on. And the second will be Pause of Fury, The Legend of Pain. Now, the first one, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, is something that's actually been out there for quite a while. It's 10 years ago. They put a short film on YouTube, and lots and lots of people watched it. And then they came up with the second version, and now they've got this full-length feature. Now, what it is about is about this shell with one googly eye peeking out of it that has some shoes on, and it's all about watching things be the wrong size. So what charmed me immediately about this movie is that I love anything that's a miniature. Growing up, I loved the books like The Borrowers with the, the little people that live you know, in your house and that's where all of your sunglasses and ballpoint pens and empty spools and matchbooks and all this kinds of stuff gets turned into household objects. And the fun of watching this movie is all the different things that they use to make up Marcel's world. And some of them are really clever and funny. I mean, you can see on the box for the, the image on IMDb, you know, they use a Tootsie Roll wrapper as, you know, the balloon part of a parachute. Lots of little clever things that they use crayons and, and pens and, and pencils. And, you know, there's a bed made out of bread and just all these fun details. Mike, what did you think about Marcel, the shell with shoes on? I often smile nowadays about the origins for the, the films that we get in theaters. I mean, you know, it's now longstanding practice that, you know, this is a movie based on a video game or, or you know, on, on some commercial product or whatever. But when you think about it, how weird that would have been decades earlier. We'd have some toy, let's say, that served as the basis for a movie. And, you know, you can talk about Legos or whatever. And, and that might be a whole separate subject for, for further discussion. But the fact that that's the launching pad for a feature film. In this case, the launching pad, as Marie mentioned, was all the way back in 2010 when YouTube had a three-minute short film featuring this, I'll call it a character. I wonder what to call Marcel after a while, but you've described him very well there. And Jenny Slate and Dean Fleischer Camp were the, the two people who really created this and put it forward. Now, I've been aware of it for a long time. I'm not talking like I'm a, you know, a member of the fan club or something, but I've been aware of it. I know, I know the character. You know, I don't watch the character every night or something, but I know, I know who it is. Why do I dwell on that? Well, again, in terms of the origins and the audience for a film like this, I went to see it on an opening night when it was actually fairly crowded. The median age of the audience was somewhere in their 20s. These moviegoers were so responsive. I mean, I enjoyed the film, but they really enjoyed it. And you could tell that this was like the fan club. I mean, there's a devoted fan base for this. To my way of thinking, it's not quite as clever as it thinks it is. And one of the things that falls short for me is that when you think about the short film origins, the film itself actually has a deliberately, I won't say choppy, but kind of chopped up 
narrative to it. In other words, think about like a little comic sketch that would run a few minutes and that you would have on YouTube, right? And then think about, okay, now have another one and another one and kind of like in the editing, kind of stitch them together. And that's more or less how the film is put together. Now, to its credit, it's 89 minutes and it does move along, you know, thank goodness it's not two and a half hours or something. It stays on the short side. It is amusing. I don't think it's as clever as, as it always thinks it is. But if you're part of that audience, I mean, that you're devoted to these characters, it would be immensely satisfying. I shared the, not dismissal of the film, but just a kind of more measured response with Manola Dargis, who's the critic from the New York Times. And in her review, she had a really, really incisive evaluation of the film. And she wrote this, quote, there is not all that much going on, even if quite a bit happens, close quote. And for me, it was a prime example of that kind of movie. If somebody said, what's it about? Oh my goodness, you could go on for hours. Oh, this happens, that happens. And, and all the like domestic mishaps you know, for poor Marcel within, within this you know, family environment and so on. But that's a kind of busyness. There really is not much by way of narrative or storyline or character development. How would you have character development for, for a critter like this? Uh, it's just sort of a given that that's what he is with the smart aleck remarks and so on. But a lot of them really are amusing. I mean, I laughed too, partly because the audience was laughing so much, but I think watching Alona would have laughed too there. So I'm not as enthusiastic as Marie on this one, but I, I, I did enjoy it. And it seems to me that when I think of all the various characters I've been exposed to in movies this year, you know, and we could go through a roster of character types, I got to say Marcel's unique. I, I can't think of another character quite like this one. And it's such an improbable combination or juxtaposition of elements that there's something inherently smile inducing about that, just having Marcel on screen. And then when he talks, he does have like a stand-up comedian sense of the one-liner and of timing and so on. And, you know, the, the vocal talent there is really spot on. And so the film is actually very cleverly constructed. Moreover, and Marie and I sometimes joke about, you know, in a ponderous way, like meta cinema, like movies about movies and so on. But Dean Fleischer Camp in this movie plays a character, guess what, named Dean, who is making a documentary film. So the film you're watching, in effect, is part of the documentary he's making. And, you know, as film academics, we really tend to enjoy things like that because it's film about film. And I think, you know, jesting aside on that, I think this film actually does get some mileage out of that. If you then have that kind of framework where you actually, this character is actually making a movie, of course, the very one that we're watching. I think that is actually was a, a very wise decision to make because it does let you just sort of follow the character around watching them do what they do. Oh, your bed is made out of two pieces of white bread. Okay. And, you know, the, all kinds of other details. You know, the bus is a caterpillar. And, you know, you can, you can get from, you know, places on a bug, but you have to go where the bug wants to go. Just a lot of little observations. They're all kind of non sequiturs and interesting observations in Marcel's world. But that's what I thought made it just sort of charming and different. And in terms of doing something different with an animated movie, this felt really fresh. It didn't feel like anything else you would see. It defies being categorized as one sort of genre or another. It's really kind of, it's certainly not really a documentary, even though that's sort of the frame story. So I thought that that made it watchable because you have not seen this movie before. I mean, wouldn't you agree? Well, to some extent, I would agree. And, and I love your use of the word non sequitur because it seems to me that a lot of the comedy obviously is based on non sequiturs. But the challenge, and I think ultimately for me, the disappointment is that non sequiturs at feature length. I think, you know, I mentioned earlier how the film's kind of chopped up these discrete segments. And a lot of those are just 
chock full of non sequiturs. If you have one after another of that, for me, after a while, there's a surfeit. I feel like after about an hour or so of it, it's like, okay, okay, okay. And it's not adding much more. There's still funny lines all the way through it. But in terms of the structure of the film or the momentum of it, it's pretty much done what it's going to do. And I think it's just kind of like recycling at that point. I don't mean it's using the same jokes per se, but the same kind of structure and the same kind of sensibility. I think it's a challenge. I think it's, I think it doesn't entirely work when you take that approach and have it go for you know almost 90 minutes. But uh, mine's a minority report based on the audience I watched it with, where that audience was totally with it. I was sort of the guy off to the side of it thinking, okay, well, I'm smiling, but I'm not laughing out loud at this moment. Some of the, the lines are kind of throwaway. It's only when you think back at them that you realize that they're very funny or deeper than you thought. Like, you know, there's a line about, um, I used to have a sister. Someone asked her to hold a balloon. And you have to think about what that means, you know, <laughs> that she was just sort of carried away by the balloon. Funny. And, you know, could I have a drop of water, not a glass of water, but a drop of water? It just jokes about the size of it, the miniaturization of it, the making things out of found objects of it. And the fact that, I don't know, tens of millions of people downloaded those YouTube videos. There's a whole lot of people out there who know about Marcel, who probably would be very interested in this sort of deep dive where you're actually going to see the world he lives in and his grandmother and, you know, how you see the world when you're that small and what you think objects mean and how you can use them as opposed to what we think at our larger size. So you get a lot of sight gags going on that way. In fact, that's the audience I saw it with. So you have absolutely identified the audience for it. I'm wondering, and this is a matter of just speculation, I'm wondering if it will have much appeal to an audience beyond that. What do you think there? I mean, isn't, we can't say for sure one way or the other, but if you're not part of that fan club that, you know, for years has been watching Marcel, the short films and so on, if you just come in cold, I think anyone would be amused by it. But I think some viewers might just be sort of, frankly, uh, I don't want to say bewildered, but just sort of wondering what, they, what they've stumbled into here, because it really is off kilter and idiosyncratic that way. But, you know, even though I, I'm not as enthusiastic as, as Marie is here, it is really a, an interesting film because it is so different. And you're right, Marie. I mean, just the character itself, but just the sensibility of it. It's not like we see so many animated films now that are kind of stamped out and not just superhero ones, but just like kind of stamped out where you just sort of know what you're getting. And it doesn't have to be a sequel necessarily. You just sort of know what you're getting there. This is one where even if you're a fan of Marcel, you're not quite sure what are they going to do now? I mean, this is not just a three minute film. This is a 90 minute, 89 minute film. How are they going to make it work? And, I, and that, that always kept me intrigued because even though I was just smiling a little bit, I always wanted to see whatever popped up next. And this is to Marie's point. It really is fresh that way. And I was never bored by it. There was always something engaging there. And Marcel does. Marie made a really good observation. Marcel has some comments that don't always register immediately. Sometimes immediately it's the non sequitur or just like a weird observation. And it's like as if my brain is catching up like 30 seconds later. Oh, that's it. <laughs> you know, I had a sister and then she held the balloon. Over. I mean, those, you know, something like in retrospect is obvious. You get it. But at the moment, it goes by pretty quickly, and it's like it might be a lag factor of a few seconds. And then I smile belatedly, like, oh, well, if you're that size and you try holding a balloon, you're going to float away. And I think the film is smart that way. It knows how to have a kind of delayed timing device. So some of the jokes don't hit all at once. They just sort of ruminate and then, ah, like that. And, you know, and, and if it's like a three-minute skit, you're still getting it, but, but maybe like well into that little moment, that little skit. And uh, I think, you know, again, the people who created this are really smart that way. I mean, they came up with this unusual character 
and they made it a distinctive character. You feel like, I mean, I don't know, to what extent can we use anthropomorphism here? I mean, it's kind of sort of humanist. Uh, I mean, what do you, I mean, it is like a person, like a little person, but to look at it, you wouldn't say that's a person, but the personality is definitely human, the sensibility. It's like the smartest kid or the smart aleck kid in a classroom or something, right? This is a really smart and kind of smart aleck kid. And he's just really entertaining and he knows he's entertaining. That's the thing. I mean, he's a, he's a little, he's a really little stand-up comedian. And actually, I think that was the, what I thought was sort of the, the style of it was like a comedian getting up to talk and giving these interesting observations that the audience could relate to. Now, one of the things that I thought was genius was that Marcel and his grandmother like to watch 60 Minutes. And, you know, they love Leslie Stahl. So they got Leslie Stahl involved in this. And, you know, they got, you know, the crew from 60 Minutes to do a mock 60 Minutes episode with Leslie Stahl in it for this. And she said that, you know, she's done all this work, you know, on things like 60 Minutes. But what really impressed her grandkids was her doing this for this movie. And that's where I think that might be the audience that we are not, Mike, you and I, that it's not necessarily kids who sit down and watch Saturday morning cartoons. I don't know that they would understand Marcel or, or enjoy it other than, oh, isn't it cool that you could do all of these things with, you know, as a smaller person, what you could use around the house. That's fun to look at. But I don't know if the commentary and sort of the sweetness of Marcel would work outside of that audience. But certainly I think there is a, a lot of people out there who already like him and would go see this movie regardless of what was in it also wanted to mention that when they did the first marcel they bought some shell at like a hobby store and then when they went back to get more it was they were all different so they've actually printed out a bunch of them on a 3d printer which i thought was worth mentioning since that technology is now mike creating actors for us to watch well marie again when i saw this film the audience was comprised of people mostly in their 20s it's really like, you know, smart young adults, a smart aleck young adults, if you will, who really appreciated that kind of humor. It was an evening show, so I didn't expect to see children in the audience necessarily. But I think this is a film that fundamentally appeals more to that kind of ironic sensibility in an adult as much or more than in children. So I, I would be interesting to see it with a really young as in child age audience, but but it's really the young adults who appreciate it. And some of the references, you're right, Mary, are really aimed more at an adult audience and I actually laughed out loud when Leslie Stahl popped out. I mean, it's just like, for me, it was so unexpected. And they really work it in that way. And not just 60 minutes, but there she is. What's she doing in, in Marcel? The other thing I, lo I love so much about that section of the film was the fact that the grandmother character is voiced by Isabella Rossellini. Just one of my, you know, I, I, I really have always liked her as an actor. And, and certainly that voice. You know, I mean, we, we tend to think of her in terms of her years as a model and as an actress and, you know, the physical beauty, but the beauty of that voice and having that voice in the film to me really enhanced it. So when I got, I was smiling because of Isabella Rossellini's voice. And then with Leslie Stahl, I was actually laughing. It's just like, you know, there was a kind of like really agreeable surrealism to it at that point. It just seemed like the juxtaposition, something so unexpected. But in the film, they make it work. And not that the film has much by way of structure per se. But to some extent, it does work in the documentary framework that we talked about earlier, giving a little bit of structure and also some of those real world references to people like Leslie Stahl in 60 Minutes. And you feel like it's not just generic cartoon material. It's playing off of a domestic environment we would know 
entertainment world environment we would know, and the fact that Marcel, this bizarre little creature who's so endearing and, and so human in so many ways, that he's responding to all these things too. And I think those are all advantages in the filmmaking. I, I think it's one reason why it's a really easy film to watch. I mean, it's, it's enjoyable all the way through. You know what I think they should consider if they're going to make another Marcel movie is to break it up into individual chapters of separate crises, you know, like Marcel falls asleep on the Roomba and ends up in, you know, some other part of the house that he's never been to. You know, the way they do series on TV where, you know, you put them in certain situations, you know, Marcel gets lost in the shopping center, Marcel abroad, but you could do like little five minute vignettes and make them individual chapters rather than trying to make a whole movie that's supposed to maintain a narrative with this character. Mike, what do you think? I really like that idea, the notion of breaking it. I mean, it's already broken up. It's all these short segments, one after the other, and they're not quite stitched together successfully or, or satisfyingly from my perspective. However, what I like about your suggestion is the fact that, well, okay, acknowledge that. This is episodic filmmaking of a sort. Why not then just push it further that way and have discrete separate chapters? Whatever, whether he's traveling around the world or, or various obstacles and incidents he has to deal with in his everyday life, why not then be really overt about that? And it's like, you know, next chapter. And you could actually, that's what, where it would work so well, because you'd be laughing at a segment and then you'd get the next chapter heading. And whatever the ominous subtitle might be for that chapter, the audience would sort of groan and laugh like, oh no, now he's up against fill in the blank for whatever's next there. I think that'd be a terrific idea for a sequel. Yeah. All right. So we should probably move on to talk about Pause of Fury, The Legend of Hank. And I was so eager to see this because I understood it was supposed to be a remake of Mel Brooks' Blazing Saddles, but for children. Blazing Saddles as a Saturday morning cartoon is how I thought about it. It had its moments. You could hear Mel Brooks writing in jokes like there's a point where they're telling the cat, because we all know it killed the cat, stop being curious, you're going to kill us all. So from time to time, you know, you can hear Mel Brooks, you know, you knew he wrote that line. And it does try to take some of the, you know, famous scenes from Blazing Saddles and sort of work them backwards into this. But I thought mostly that that really didn't work. I had a mixed to negative feelings about this film. On the upside, the smile-inducing side of it, I actually had met Mel Brooks once, and he's every bit as funny and, and as rude in person. I mean, agreeably rude, as you'd expect. He's everything you'd want. And what I love so much is not only everything he's done in terms of entertainment history, but the fact that he's still with us. He's 96 years old, and he's one of the, uh, one of the voiced characters in Paws of Fury, The Legend of Hank. So I love the initial notion, the initial premise. Let's take Blazing Saddles, the Mel Brooks movie from 1974, one of his funniest comedies where, you know, he's spoofing the Western. But let me add very quickly, a lot of people misunderstand the nature of satire or what a spoof oftentimes can be. We tend to assume, and I, I plead guilty here too, that if somebody is satirizing something, spoofing it, they're making fun of something they don't like, you know, like, like ridiculing. But oftentimes, this kind of a satire is actually, ironically, just the opposite, satirizing something you love. So think about Mel Brooks, now in his 90s, when he was a kid growing up, imagine him going to the movies on a Saturday afternoon to see the Western serials. He knows that genre really well. He loves it. He likes it. He doesn't have to do research now. He grew up with it, right? 
So when he makes a movie like Blazing Saddles, think of all the character types and yes, stereotypes in a Western and what he can do with them and the kind of fun he has with that. So, you know, Blazing Saddles is really funny. It's also, you know, it, it's got some language and some situations and all that really are, you know, they certainly were kind of risque in 74 and still can kind of give you a jolt at times. So what I did like initially about the premise here is let's take Blazing Saddles and do it as an animated film targeted at kids. And the further riff on it would be rather than like, you know, there are connections thematically between a Western and a samurai movie, but rather than, than a traditional Western being spoofed, let's have it be samurai territory, which again, you, you know, when you think about Seven Samurai, Magnificent Seven, that, that cross fertilization it's there, it's valid to do that. And one of the disappointments from that, so I like that very initial notion, almost everything else was disappointing from that point onward. But what I found initially disappointing was when I learned that I'm not crazy about the title, Pause of Fury, The Legend of Hank. It's a really long and awkward kind of title. It's not very funny even, it's just kind of dumb, right? Just it's, it's there. You know what the working title was? The original title for this film was so much better. The original title for it would have been Blazing Samurai. I think that's a, that would have been a great, not, it doesn't guarantee a great movie, but that's a great title, Blazing Samurai. So and it's funnier. It's funny. Yeah, yes, that's why it's better. It's funnier. You laugh when you hear Blazing Samurai. Now, the ideal audience for this film, and I'm not recommending it to anyone necessarily, but the ideal audience would be somebody who knows and really likes Blazing Saddles, because there are certain character types and scenes that are directly copied. The most infamous, of course, is, is that campfire scene. If you have beans for dinner, dot, dot, dot. And so, you know, in Blazing Saddles, I remember seeing it in the movie theater where the audience just roared with laughter. It was so unexpected at that moment. And even and now that you expect it, it's just as funny. And so this film will have like the equivalent scene. So uh, almost like in a scholarly way, if you know Blazing Saddles, you'll appreciate some of the references here. And moreover, the fact that Mel Brooks himself is among the vocal talent. He, he supplies the voice for the old Shogun. So we're in samurai territory here, but to his voice is so distinctive. So to have him actually in the movie, his voice in the movie really is delightful there. Now, why is it so disappointing? It seems to me that the spoof, uh, first of all, Blazing Saddles is a spoof of the Western. And now you have this Pause of Fury, which is a spoof of a spoof, if you will, or spoofing samurai movies. That, that's viable, that, that, that could work, but it's kind of half-hearted in the sense that there are references to Blazing Saddles, but it's not like really consistently working that material. It's just like, and I think, and this is armchair conjecture on my part, I think it must have occurred to them, hey, let's make a spoof of Blazing Saddles, but we'll do it as an animated film for kids and samurai instead. And almost like they got scared or just started to back off it, like, like well, most of today's small kids aren't going to know the, the original film. And people who know and love that original film aren't necessarily going to go to a kiddie. This is a PG rated movie. That's not necessarily going to go see a, an animated film for kids. And I'm getting at, they might have worried that audience. Like we're not necessarily going to capture the Mel Brooks audience. Then again, what are really small kids going to make of this? They're not going to pick up on some of those references or care. The name Mel Brooks might not mean anything. Fill in the blank, fill in the blank. We reason to get wary of really going all out with tackling Blazing Saddles. So the movie is kind of half-hearted that way. There are references to it and then just sort of but by the boards there. But here's the major reason why I think it's so disappointing in terms of a film that riffs on, at least references Blazing Saddles. Think about a lot of the absurd humor, the really outrageous things that are seen and heard in Mel Brooks' Blazing Saddles. That's a live action comedy where things like that are like so unexpected and so outrageous. And, and you're seeing, you know, real human beings on screen who are doing and saying these things. 
that's like, well, whoa, in real life, would something like that happen? You know, that's part of the humor there. It's just, just how outrageous it is that these people are dressed like this, saying and doing these things. Okay, that's in a live action film. Now take an animated film. Take the very same situations and characters, put them in an animated film, and that kind of behavior is the norm. <laughs> that's what we expect in animated movies. So I might still laugh or at least smile at some of it, but you know what? It's not nearly as funny as it would have been and was back in the live action version. Marie, let me hit you with that sort of, it's almost like a technological slash philosophical observation in the sense of, you know, you go to see a live action movie or you go to see an animated movie, what works really well in one might not be quite as effective in the others because, you know, the laws of physics are always being violated. The laws of logic and common sense and good manners are always being violated in animated movies. That's just par for the course. What do you think? Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head. You know, the concept is great. I mean, let's take Blazing Saddles and you know, make it for kids, tone down some of the more graphic humor. But somewhere along the line, they just completely lost the plot. Now, I saw Blazing Saddles when I was in high school. It was the last movie they showed at the drive-through before the drive-through closed down. So it's burned into my long-term memory. But when I was watching this, I felt like this was not so much a remake of Blazing Saddles as it was Kung Fu Panda. And it did have its moments with some jokes, like, you know, somebody reading a book called Samurai's for Dummies. It did land a couple of jokes, and the voice talent is great. It's Michael Sarah and Samuel Jackson and Ricky Gervais and George Takai and Michelle Yeoh. So it should have been better than this. And it, it's certainly not the worst movie I've ever seen. I mean, there's lots of movies that are worse than this. But it was just kind of average and it didn't do anything interesting in terms of the animation it didn't move that bar in terms of wow look what we can do these days with the current technology there was nothing like that the animation is lazy you know what i'm getting at i mean it's not bad quote unquote but it's just sort of like standard issue animation it doesn't really push technically that way and the jokes Marie, you make a really good observation a lot of the jokes are really you know kung fu panda actually is, is so good to mention in this respect because it's that kind of humor, and that can work, but it really takes you away from the initial notion of really spoofing and having fun with the Mel Brooks Blazing Saddles or, or points of connection from the Western to the Samurai and so on. Instead, it just goes into like obvious Kung Fu moves, quite literally Kung Fu moves and, and the corresponding jokes. And that works well enough, but you know what? It, it falls far short of what that initial premise might have offered us. It just kind of, it's again, just as the animation is lazy technically in terms of the narrative, it gets really lazy at that point. Really busy, but really lazy in terms of doing much with it. It's just a lot of noise and a lot of clamorous activity in the final scenes, but that's, there almost seems to be a desperate quality to it there. We need a really, you know, over the top kind of, kind of final scene or two. And at that point, I think the film's just like sort of like spinning wheels. And what do you think there? I just think they sort of they abandon the initial idea, essentially, and they don't really have much else to plug in other than like Kung Fu. Well, it is really sort of Kung Fu Panda, isn't it? It is kind of Kung Fu Panda. That's That was actually the most disappointing thing because, you know, Kung Fu Panda was an all right movie, but Blazing Saddles just had so much more they could have worked with. So let's assume that, you know, we don't want to leave Mel Brooks here. I mean, he's getting up in years and let's not let this be his last movie. What of his other properties would you animate? Mike, I mean, could they do Young Frankenstein? Well, yes, they could. I'm not saying they should, but, <laughs> but yes, they could. And Mel Brooks has been really active still. I mean, he, just the other year he published a new book and he you know, su supplied the voice for, for Pause of Fury. So he's still working. 
Uh, he's still producing, you know, original books and, and, and material. And I'm not a big fan of taking a film of his and, and giving us an animated version of it. I'd much rather go back and watch Blazing Saddles or watch Young Frankenstein. You know what I mean? Like, why not just go back and savor the original? I don't feel any compulsion to somehow, you know, transform it into, you know, animated material. What do you think here? Because I think that this urge to to remake or to, or to, you know, do another version of or another medium, why not just enjoy the original? Yes, and that's, you know, you're absolutely right about that. This, though, could have been just something that was a Saturday morning cartoon and would have just, you know, been another forgettable as it flies by you while you're eating the cereal in front of the TV kind of a movie. There was really nothing about it that was special or really stood out, except for, like I said, some great voice talent and a couple of, of funny lines. But Mel Brooks deserves better. And that's absolutely <laughs> he's Mel Brooks. He's he, Mel would be Brooks. The first one to, he would be the first one to tell you he deserves better. He would too. Well, that does bring us to the end of this episode. Don't forget to check out our other podcasts at dragondigitalradio.podbean.com and also under Dragon Digital Radio on Spotify and Pandora. And we'll see you next time at the movies. See you then. Connect with us. We are Dragon Digital Radio.